success is when your life conditions are equal to or greater than your blueprint for success. So you'll feel successful when your your life is equal to or greater than, than what you thought. Your network is your net worth. Come listen to some of the most successful people I know. Share invaluable knowledge, stories, and advice in real estate, business, and beyond. This is Weiss Advice. Whether you want to take your business or personal life to the next level, look no further. Welcome back to another episode of Weiss Advice. I'm your host as always, Yona Weiss. Excited as always to be here on another episode with another phenomenal guest, someone that I've had the pleasure of knowing through the internet for many, many years now <laughs> and was uh, was a guest on his podcast quite a while ago, actually. We have Taylor Lote on the show. What's going on? Uh, not much. Thank you so much for having me. It's uh, an honor to be on the show. Yeah. I mean, if you guys have been in the real estate investing space or spent any time on bigger pockets, you've definitely come across Taylor and his show, The Passive Wealth <laughs> Strategy Show, because it is phenomenal, as is he. And so I'm just grateful for you taking the time out and spending it with us a little time today. It's my great pleasure. You know, Bigger Pockets forums are, are a lot of fun. They're one of the few places on the internet that has somehow, I think, done a good job of remaining untarnished by the... Uh, the, the 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 general taint of <laughs> of the internet, what the internet does to places, and uh, they've they've kept quality conversations. They've certainly had bumps along the way, changing the forum software and things like that. But they've worked through it, and I just uh, really like being active in that space and learning and giving back my knowledge and just participating. Great, yeah, forums. that's a it's a good point you make. I think there are a lot of social media, you know, anywhere you go, people you have negativity all over the place. And you you definitely have that on bigger pockets from time to time, yes. <laughs> but, but it is it is a, a more rare than you would find on average in uh, in other places. So it's that's well quarantined. It is, and it's I, I don't know if it's the moderators that have anything to do with that or it's just uh the quality of people that that show up there. I'm not I'm honestly not sure. I think it's it's probably a whole lot of things that moderators definitely have uh, something to do with it. The professional atmosphere mm -hmm. of it definitely helps. And I think people, when their real name and their real company is tied to what they're saying, they almost certainly change what they're willing to say when a, a forum is no longer right. anonymous whatsoever. That definitely has an impact on what anybody's willing to say. I mean, if we're just being honest. That's true. That is a very good point. And you, you'll still have those. Yeah. You'll, you'll still have those anonymous users out there, but it's harder to do that on that platform. So I give you that, but it is a place where I think, you know, I've learned a tremendous amount. I've given back when appropriate, you know, in the knowledge base that I have, but it's incredible to see how many people like yourself that have just provided so much knowledge over the years and the amount of, you know, just evergreen content that is there because of the power of the platform, you know, the Google searches, you just, you show up, you know, anytime you look, looking for anything to do with real estate investing, you're going to find bigger pockets. So I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I've kind of thought about trying to get more involved with the company. I do know some of the people who are a little more tightly, closely woven. You just meet these people along the way as you go to, you know, networking events and build relationships with them. But, you know, generally they do a good job of, of keeping things, keeping things positive. I think if there are to be improvements, improvements made, there could be somewhat higher level, 
more detailed information about some types of commercial real estate investing. And I've provided them this feedback. Hopefully they do it. I think the self-storage asset class needs its own forum there. And I've Mm -hmm. mentioned this to them. I hope they do that because it's a great asset class. Right. Kind of lumped in with other commercial real estate right now. And I I don't think that's quite right. I think they need storage only. I agree with you. And I remember when they started the mobile home park thread, its own forum, which was also, you know, kind of a shoot off of the, you know, multifamily and commercial real estate. And again, it was an asset class that really deserved its own space, its own forum. And, uh, and you're absolutely right about the self-storage because that's a huge space in of itself. Um, and, you know, before we get too far down here, I'd love for you to take a minute and just give us our listeners a little background, you know, who you are, what you do, and, uh, you know, what's brought you to where you are at this point. Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate the opportunity. So uh, like you mentioned, my name is Taylor Lode. I'm a real estate investor. I focus on multifamily and self-storage investments, raise capital for deals, uh, help passive investors get into these deals. And we were talking before we started recording, I have the securities licenses to do that. I think in this space, there are plenty of folks out there uh, not complying with those regulations. It was always my goal to be able to approach the business in that way and, and place capital, but make sure we do it in a legally compliant manner that protects our investors, protects our you know business interests. Because if you want to build a massive business, it's best to do it in a legal manner, both to protect the passive investors, of course, but also to protect ourselves. I want to avoid you know legal troubles. So I saw it as the most sustainable, long-term way to continue to scale the business. And uh, you know, it's going great as interest rates have gone up. I've definitely noticed a shift in the market, both in my own experience and the conversations I'm having with people. As you mentioned, I record my own podcast and just being involved in the space. Things are changing, but I'm confident that there will be deal flow down the road. We just need to stay engaged and, you know, keep going. And we're still seeing stuff pop up. It's just the the volume has, you know, decreased a little bit. Sure. And so when you say you're focused on mainly multifamily and self-storage, very general, are there any specific kind of markets or, sure. or uh, you know, sub classes or, or sub markets or anything like that, that you're specifically focused on, or is it kind of on operator to operator? Cause you do raise capital for other operators, correct? Meaning you're not a sole operator of a, of a company that owns outright assets, correct? Yes, absolutely. So one of the advantages I found with this setup is that I get to work with several operators who have specialized in different markets and different asset classes. So for my investor base, we get to provide a more diverse uh, set of options. But you know, more specifically, we do obviously do a lot of screening. I invest in the deals as well. I, of course, I want them to be good deals and I want them to fit a certain profile. So I really prefer, I've come to prefer B-class multifamily, again, preferably in the Sunbelt. That's the Sunbelt states. A lot of folks are investing there for now for very good reasons. And then with self-storage, I'm a little more... My, my criteria are a little bit more broad in a certain sense, but we're still investing in the Sun Belt. I just see that self-storage has a more broad opportunity as long as you're able to invest in an area where the supply of storage properties doesn't exceed the demand. That's probably, in my mind, the biggest market risk with self-storage is that it can get so severely overbuilt in certain areas. So you have to be really careful about that. And I think storage more than any other asset class is very, very, you know, market specific. You may have, like you said, there may be too much of a supply. You have to really know the demographics of that market and maybe the sub market, maybe even just, you know, the the five mile radius around 
you know, where you're looking to buy or develop the storage, because in one place, there may be another, another unit right down the street. There may be something else. And you really have to study that. And there's a lot of great data out there to study and to really figure out a great property can be excellent, but it can, uh, you know, not work if, if there's a lot of competition right down the street. Absolutely. Like you said, there's so much data out there. And one of the things that really drew me to add self-storage to my strategy was, you know, I had been investing in multifamily. We started with C-class and then I, you know, kind of upgraded to B-class for a lot of reasons we could talk about later. But self-storage, I see so much opportunity in upgrading the operations and improving the operations of mom and pop properties that are, you know, run without any digitization. You know, maybe they put, write the rents on a chalkboard and see who's come and paid the rent in cash or, you know, whatever every month. And, And there's so much opportunity for us to go in and, you know, use these digital tools to manage the property that can reduce the cost so significantly and also much better manage the actual rents and who's paying and, you know, who needs to have their lock cut or lock covered over and all those things. Uh, I still see a, a lot of opportunity there to think about how you buy stuff these days. I mean, I, I run a, I pre-COVID, I ran a meetup here in, in Richmond and I'm looking to get that started again uh, in person soon. So I was looking for a venue recently and, you know, we're trying to find a new one. I'm going to go higher class on this one. I'm going to charge a little more this time around, but looking for a venue. Well, how am I going to do that? I'm going to go online. I'm not going to drive around and and look for venues. Same way you shop for self-storage now. I mean, you're going to go on Google, type in storage, look for the one nearest you that fits your criteria. You're going to go to it. And that place is going to get the highest rent. But there's so many mom and pops out there who don't have a Google business page or anything like that. And there's just a lot of potential upside there for storage investors. For sure. You know, some of the digitalization and, and just bringing things up to speed that's probably the biggest driver of uh, of increased revenue and you know than anything else. So what are some of those things, if you wouldn't mind sharing, like some of the things that you've found that your operators or your properties have done to just bring some of those uh, some of those properties up to speed? Yeah, I mean, a huge one is, like I said before, just bringing in software to actually manage the property and collect rents either through a credit card or some kind of ACH or just some kind of automatic system instead of requiring people to drop off cash or a check or just collect things manually. Just better managing revenue and who's paying and who's not. That helps in a lot of ways. One thing a lot of mom and pops will do, especially in self-storage, is hey, somebody came and and rented this particular unit X number of years ago, and they were paying 30 bucks a month back then. And I'd rather keep the place at 100% occupancy. And yeah, sure, now it would rent for 100 bucks for that unit, but I'm still keeping them at 30 because I want them in there. Well, you know, as more sophisticated investors who have different goals than those mom and pops, maybe more sophisticated is is a little too harsh. We're going to work to get those units up to the current market level of say 100 bucks a, a month for that that example. And that's a big one, just managing that revenue. The other things like, you know, security cameras and automated gates and all kinds of additional revenue. I think one thing that a lot of mom and pop sell storage do is they tend to overestimate the value of having a staffed office. And doesn't mean a staffed office is a bad thing necessarily. They just maybe don't get the value hundred percent right. Maybe they have somebody there too often. So some areas do versus don't need the staffed offices, but it's a lot of basic things like that, like um, making sure you charge people, making sure you charge people <laughs> current rental rates, you know, get rid of the ones that don't pay. And, you know, obviously, obviously always follow state and local laws because there are laws around this for self-storage. It's not as easy as just they didn't pay, cut the lock off. No, different states have different laws. 
it's it's a lot of things like that. Just managing those properties better. Yeah, no uh, no storage wars going on. Uh, you know, just <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> every time every time someone doesn't pay. All right, let's bring in the <laughs> who wants to bid on this property. It happens, but obviously there are laws. So I'm glad you brought that up. What's some of the mistakes that you've seen? Uh, you know, obviously you've been in this business for quite a while. You've seen some ups and downs. You know, anything that you know comes up that you maybe have uh, had experience with that maybe just a, a property or a deal or something didn't go right that uh, we can learn from. Sure. So the first property, so my the way I got into this uh, real estate investing business is I had been investing in you know Wall Street for a while, and by dint of my age and when I started making money, I happened to time the market very well. Nothing you know of my own control. I just kind of got lucky being, you know, I'm 33 now. So I got in right at the depth of the Great Recession. So I had done pretty well, but it wasn't producing cash flow. And I decided I'm going to get in. So the first investment that I made was a passive investment in a syndication using a self-directed IRA. And the the sponsor, the the main operator did do a pretty good job, but something went wrong. And the thing that went wrong is the property manager stole some money from us. And I never got a great answer of how much he stole, but it was not a small amount of money. Now, normally, okay, that's not great, but it's not like a total killer. It doesn't really bog things down because if you have a third-party property manager, you just fire them and bring in somebody else. Yeah, you lost some money, you go pursue it, but you can you know, just push forward and right. continue to manage the property. The complicating factor is that that property manager was also a general partner in the syndication. So there became there came a legal battle wow. to basically get those general partnership shares back. And it's just a big headache, complicating things that, you know, there's already hard enough to do a real estate deal. You don't need an additional yeah. legal battle. So we ended up, this is a, a few years ago. I mean, we sold the property. I think we were really saved by just general market appreciation that has happened over the this market cycle for the last decade you know we just kind of in a certain sense got lucky the that property manager unfortunately unfortunately passed away it seems he may have you know uh, taken his own life at one point toward the end it was really really tragic story but the you know for for his family in particular the lesson for me there is if you're investing in a multifamily deal and you have a theoretically third-party property manager, you want them to really be a third-party property manager and not a kind of quasi second party. They still have general partnership shares. And I've seen that blow up for other investors who have tried that that strategy as an incentive, a potential incentive to get the property manager to perform. But I think more often than not, what that really does is gives them a feeling of security, like, hey, I can slack off or this is really mine and they can't do anything to me. So, you know, it, it worked out, but a big lesson uh, there is, you know, if they're supposed to be third party, make sure they're third party. We now work with operators who have, some of them have their own in-house property management. That's great. I really like that because then they have full control over the process. I don't see anything wrong with that, but it's that quasi in the middle thing, not a hundred percent accountable. Sure. Well, there would also, I mean, there's an argument to be made that it could be a way to incentivize the property managers to do their job most efficiently by giving them some sort of upside, giving them some sort of equity in the deal or make sure that they, in your case, I don't know that that could have been avoided when you have someone who's just a criminal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I, think I, do, I do see I, it go either way. I, I think absolutely. I agree that the hypothesis is that if we give them this ownership, they'll be more incentivized because they have more potential upside. But the 
and I've seen this happen to others where maybe they gave limited partner shares to the, the property manager, it seems to not incentivize overperformance at least enough. I mean, there are definitely, you can point to anecdotes in either direction, I'm sure. But for my position, I'd much rather have just, you know, be a third party. If we need to fire them and go separate ways, we can fire them. If they're going to misbehave in that case, if you're going to fire them, they're still going to do it. But then there's typically not like a protracted legal battle. I mean, fire 100%. them, you know. Absolutely. Um, no, I see that. I've heard of property managers like shredding bank records when they found out they were going to be fired, which is just brutal. I mean, that's, you know, but if they're going to behave that way, you know, hopefully you identify that upfront or. Yeah. Sooner than later, for sure. Wow. That's, th- these are some of the horror stories, you know, that, that we don't hear about enough. And I think it's important, you know, all, real estate investing and even syndication and these kind of things is not all roses. It's not all funny games. Obviously, like you mentioned, the past decade has been great for a lot of people. Everyone's made money or well, not everyone, but <laughs> at least unless you were like really driving your property into the ground or doing something wrong, people made money and it wasn't too difficult to do that. Uh, however, nowadays it's a much, especially with the, you know, the tightening of the markets, it's become much more operational. So you want to make sure that you have the property manager who's a key component to the, you know, to, to the actual income and of the property. So I want to make sure that our listeners appreciate the value of uh, of something like that. So I, I appreciate your point because in my eyes, I thought, you know, it could really go either way, but I definitely hear your point now in, in terms of making sure they are third party, especially if you want, if you need to fire them, fire them and sooner the better, because you don't want your property going into the ground. <laughs> That's absolutely right. I totally agree that the next few years are going to be even tougher operationally than they have been, you know, in the past. And, and that's for a lot of factors. Maybe we're in the midst of a recession and we're going to find that really soon uh, that out really soon. But also interest rates are going up and that's increasing the cost of debt. And that might put upward pressure on cap rates. And then you're getting into a lot of, you know, a lot of math there. But uh, you know, we've had a had a great run over the last market cycle, but we definitely don't want to count on that right. as investors. Hundred percent. So, Taylor, you've been doing the podcast for quite a while, right? The Passive Wealth Strategy Show. How's that? Mean, how, how's that been going for you? Just out of curiosity, like, what's the? Is I, I think you have a couple different, you know, thing, angles going in that show, correct? You could say that. I mean, it, generally speaking, you know, we're our goal is, as I always say, is to help our listeners escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. We tend to have, I, I don't want to pump up my audience too much, but my audience tend to be higher earning people who mostly have experience investing in real estate and are looking to turn it into less of a job or try to just perform better in their real estate investments or make a shift in some way in how they they go at things. And um, you know, it's, I started recording it in, I think, 2018 and started releasing in 2019. Now I'm up, I do three episodes a week. And you know, it's really, it's done so much for me that I wouldn't have expected when I first got started. It's done so much for me. It, you know, it helped me continue down this path of you know, getting the securities licenses and continuing to grow the business. And it's also just helped me learn more about how to manage people. You know, I have people who work for me on the podcast and, you know, um, yeah, it's just been, it's just been great. Really awesome. That's awesome. When you say people working for you have like editors and, you know, virtual assistants and, and those kind of things that are helping to produce the show. Yep. That's awesome. No, it's an important skill to have. I mean, when you're running your own business and have different aspects to it, clearly the podcast, if it's been that successful and been doing it for that long, you've been doing something right. And, uh, you know, having employees and having people taking part of that is helping to grow your business. So 
you know, keep it, keep it going. That's awesome. I think I was one of the, maybe one of the first guests or you may have been, we'll have to get you back on the schedule to have a, a, a new, a fresh up appearance. But, uh, yeah, I got an email the other day that we were ranked 24th for investing podcasts and 55 for entrepreneurship podcasts, which there are so many podcasts out there. I mean, I'm, I'm thrilled. That's, that's, that's awesome. awesome. I mean, I, I never really thought about it until I got that email. And actually my, my assistant saw the email. It came to our general email account and she said, Hey, did you see this? And I was like, Oh yeah. You know, that's cool. I noted that, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, I was once on the, I was once on the charts in Ireland for like best investing. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's funny when that, you know, these chartable and these kinds of type of things will send you the the stats and the data for where your podcast is listed around the world. I always wonder how they get the stats and the data for that stuff, but it's, uh, it's definitely pretty cool to be, to be listed up there. That's awesome. Good for you. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. I'm, keep I'm it going. That's the way to going. do it. You bring a ton of wealth, you know, of information, you know, and strategies. We want to put it in kind of cliche there, but a ton of wealth information for people out there wanting to learn how to invest, how to take back, you know, their time and especially get out of, like you said, the casino of wall street. It's crazy. It really is. I don't think people realize until, until there's a big downturn, like there is now people don't realize how risky that can be. And sure there are people going to say, well, in the long run, you know, everything's going to outperform yada, yada, but there's so many different options out there. You just got to educate yourself. Totally. One thing that's been on my mind very recently, and actually the episode I put out today was normally I do interview episodes, but every once in a while I'll do a solo episode where it's just me, you know, talking about something I recently learned or a lesson I want to share with the audience or what have you. And something that's been on my mind lately is crypto and NFTs. And I'm not a, I'm not like a hater or whatever. I've got a teeny tiny position in Bitcoin and Ethereum just to have some exposure. But it's if it went to zero, it would not affect my life at all. It's just to dip my toe in the water and see what's going on. But in the wake of all of these crashes of these different exchanges and, and platforms, I decided to dig a bit deeper into the details because I always thought, okay, I'm not going to get distracted. My thing is real estate investing. I don't care how great these guys are doing because real estate's my thing. I'm, I'm not stepping away. So but I've seen a bunch of people that I know lose money in these things who are otherwise smart people, but somehow got taken in. And I've dug more into the promises or the the potential upsides that some of these platforms made and just went down a, a rabbit hole recently of you know NFTs and what's what the legal like definitions and everything are behind them. And it's just, it's worse than honestly I imagined. There are so many straight up pump and dumps and Ponzi schemes in that space that, you know, it's, it's really just a, a shame. And that's not to say that those things don't exist in real estate. They definitely do. I think the trouble with crypto and NFTs has been just, you know, they had a huge explosion and people got taken in by, oh man, I could make, you know, X millions of dollars on a thousand dollar bet overnight. I'm going to go for it. When in reality, it was the promoters who were making that money because they were saying one thing publicly and doing a different thing privately so they could, you know, build wealth for themselves. And and there's so much information out there about that, exposing those things, just go on the YouTube and you'll find it. Sure. It's unfortunate, especially, you know, the biggest red flag for me was always when you have these people who seemingly have very little financial background, just overly stating how these investments are so solid and, and so good. That's just a big red flag. You know, when, when someone who doesn't have that much experience is telling you 
hey, this investment is great. You should do this. Hmm, you got to think twice. I mean, anyone with a head on their shoulders. But again, people get swept up in it because, you know, because of the, the emotion that really is involved. And you see people make so much money and wow, why not? I want to make money too. And it's just not a really smart way to do it. Well, Taylor, I want to transition now what we call the final four. These are four questions I ask all my guests. First one to you, what is the worst job that you ever had? This is a tough question. I mean, I was a, I've had, I had several jobs when I was a kid. I was a, a cashier at a grocery store in high school, right? When I got my, you know, my driver's license, that was probably the worst one because people just treat you terribly. It's just really awful how people, and so I try to be nice to them now, but I had so many people treat me terribly. Um, when I was first out of college, I had, I had a decent job, but it was just really not the right fit for me. And I was absolutely miserable. So it's somewhere split between the two of either, you know, being a cashier at a grocery store. Sorry, that's a really rough job and the pay is terrible and people do not treat you well. Or my first job, it was just the wrong fit for me. Uh, you know, it's kind of a toss up, I guess. Yeah. But I think you learn at, you know, at that point, what, you know, this is first job. Okay. Don't want to do this anymore. Right. Move on. Yes, that was a tough lesson to learn. And I still wake up, you know, in the middle of the night, cold sweat sometimes <laughs> and <laughs> put myself back there. But, uh, you know, again, absolutely you learn and you uh, hopefully move forward. 100%. And second question, what's a, a book that you've read given you a paradigm shift? So there have been so many. The E-Myth really helped me a lot in, in business in general, but it did take me a while to start implementing those lessons and start working on my business rather than in my business. But every step that I make when I'm working on the business rather than in it, because it sucks you back in sometimes, you spin up a new task, but you got to hand it off immediately. That just has helped me grow and do more and you know, raise more money, do more deals and put out more podcast episodes, everything. That's just, uh, that's just helped me a ton. Yeah. That's a great book. And we've uh, definitely had that on the podcast mentioned before. So we'll put that in the show notes, guys. If you haven't checked it out yet, we will make sure that you can find that in the show notes. Third question, what is a skill or talent that you would like to learn? I would love to learn to speak another language fluently. I only speak English. I've learned here and there. I took French in high school, uh, took a trip to Europe a few years out of college. And I just thought, we mostly spent time in Germany. I just spent a couple of months learning German ahead of time. So when we went there, everybody speaks English there anyway, but there were a few occasions where we would run into somebody who only spoke German, usually older people, you know, middle-aged people. And I remember the first time we were staying at a hostel and some housekeeper ladies came to clean our room, but they obviously didn't speak any English. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to say it because I'm butcher it, <laughs> but the one lady said to us in German, very forcefully, I need the key. Like she needed the room key. Right. And I understood what she said she meant. And I, my buddy had the key and I was like, Oh, she needs the key. I was so excited. I still remember <laughs> that feeling. I'd love to really just get, get deeper into learning one. You know, it's just tough to have the time to do it. Very cool. Yeah. No, that's, it's a great skill to have. And, uh, I think it's one that is a very noble one to pursue. So good for you. I hope, hope you find the right language to learn and, <laughs> and find the time to do it. Fourth and final question. What does success mean to you? So I uh, used to have a business coach who talks a lot about things like this. And one of the things that he's left with me, and this was a few years ago, but I still have it taped on my monitor, is that success is when your life conditions are equal to or greater than your blueprint for success. So you'll feel successful when your your life is equal to or greater than than what you thought. You know, to me, it's not about having like the massive material wealth. It's about having financial security to the point where your passive income 
pays for your lifestyle and hopefully a little bit more, and then having enough left over to give back to causes that you care about. I'm a big time, uh, I, I love animals. I, I'm a big time animal lover. So I, I donate money as it is to local animal shelters. And I just, I want to do, you know, more of that. I, 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 when I was younger, I thought I want to, you know, I want to have a really fancy car and I have a decent car now. It's not, it's not fancy, right? But it's, it's fine. It gets me where I need to go. It's comfortable. It's safe. You know, no problem has gets good gas mileage and reliable. That's all I really need. And now I know that's all, all I really need. Once I've, you know, earned money and, and gotten to that point, I, it's much more fulfilling to, again, support causes you care about. I love helping our investors make money. I love, you know, donating money to causes I care about. And that's, to me, that's, that's what matters. That's awesome. It really is something, you know, having the right perspective on life and, and figuring out what it is that means, uh, you know, success to you. And I think it's different for everyone, but I appreciate your definition and wish you much continued success along that path, because it's something that you've uh, obviously attained much of and continue to do that and provide provide that uh, those options for, for other people as well. Um, finally, Taylor, where can our listeners find you or reach out to you? Yeah. So our podcast, the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, available where you're listening to us right now. I recently put out a free seven-day video course on red flags in passive real estate investing at PassiveRealEstateCourse.com. You can get to t- get in touch with me through there. If you'd like to learn more about my company, NT Capital, and what we invest in, that's at ntcapitalgroup.com. Very cool. And we'll make sure to put all those links in the show notes. So you guys check it out down below or up above or wherever, inside out, wherever you're looking for those notes, they will be there. And appreciate you coming on the show. It's been, it's been great catching up and great having you provide so much wealth of information for us today. I appreciate you having me. And uh, and to our listeners, guys, thank you again for listening once again, all the way to the end. Remember the best advice comes only when you ask. Real quick, I have one question for you. Did you like this episode? If you did, I wanna ask you a huge favor. See, the biggest thing that helps this podcast grow and that will spread this message to the whole world is that if you leave a review, a rating, and subscribe to the podcast. What that does is it basically tells the platforms that this podcast out on is that you like my stuff and I'm doing something right. So take a few seconds out of your day, hit that subscribe button, leave a rating review. I would be extremely grateful. Also, I want to hear from you guys. So I want to hear some feedback. If you have any questions for future episodes, please find me on LinkedIn, send me a DM, a connection request, Yona Weiss, and I'd love to hear from you.